It's the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Thank you for tuning us in again, and we have a terrific guest in store. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hey, Hi, good Alan. morning, everyone. Not only is this our 160th edition, wow. but it's I a mean, who would have thought? <laughs> you got to be kidding, Fred. But it, it's a birthday edition. Happy birthday, Alan, and you're just under 160, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, 38, actually. Uh, thank you very much, Fred. And joining us this week is Jessica Cicchino, Vice President for Research at the IIHS, the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. Jessica, we appreciate you taking the time to join us. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, Jessica, glad. Really nice to have you. You're the co-author, Jessica, of a study recently released by the IIHS uh, that is headlined, Self-Driving Vehicles Could Struggle to Eliminate Most Crashes. Well, you sure got our attention with this report and the attention of many others, too. To begin with, maybe you can give us a bit of an overview. Look at that number that we hear all the time about how 94% um, of crashes are due to human error and um, that autonomous vehicles could potentially prevent 94% of crashes because of that. And we wanted to just dig into that number to see what's, what is it made up of? You know, what are those kinds of errors that drivers are making? And so um, we looked at the um, a database from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration um, where they did some in-depth crash investigations where that 94% came from. And we uh, split the driver errors up into five different categories. And so um, some of the errors we called sensing and perceiving errors. Um, and those would be errors where drivers you know, didn't, didn't see something or were distracted, something related to their perception. Um, and we also, some of the errors were related to um, impairment. And so th that would be um, if drivers were um, alcohol impaired or if drivers were incapacitated in some way, so were passed out behind the wheel. And those were things that we thought that, you know, there's no question that autonomous vehicles are going to do a better job at those kinds of issues than what we see from, from humans. You know, it's no question that autonomous vehicles are going to have better ability to sense the world. You know, they're not gonna be um, passed out. You know, they're going, they're going to not have issues with being incapacitated. And the other three categories of errors were things that are more related to human decision making. So things that it might not, you know, might not 100% be clear if an autonomous vehicle is really going to do these things unless they're explicitly programmed to do so. And so th some of those would be planning and deciding errors. Those would be things related to, um, you know, speeding, making the correct decisions behind the wheel in terms of um, traffic laws and obeying those kinds of things. Um, execution and performance. So those would be having the correct evasive maneuvers when you're in a situation where you need to make one. So, you know, braking instead of swerving, if that's the right thing to do. And predicting the behavior of others on the road. So, you know, if there's a gap in traffic, um, figuring out that, that, that it's the right gap in traffic, um, predicting what other people are going to do on the road. And so we saw that about a third of the driver the crashes had errors related to sensing and perceiving and to um, driver incapacitation. 
And we thought that, you know, there's no question that most of those crashes would be preventable by autonomous vehicles. Um, and for the other proportion, we're not saying that autonomous vehicles can't prevent those, just that we're going to have to take special care into making sure that they're not making the same kinds of mistakes that human drivers are as they're being programmed by humans and by they, and um, because these kinds of vehicles will need to eventually be accepted by the public, some of these kinds of, you know, more human mistakes are things that people um, might not necessarily, people might prefer that vehicles still drive the way that they do. I guess, you know, the, the um, sort of the way that I, I've been kind of looking at this issue, I, I agree with you. Uh, uh, those folks that say, hey, 94% involve um, human something in, in a crash. Uh, we're going to be able to eliminate all these things with automation. You know, of course not. Um, uh, but, but I think the, the way I've been sort of approaching this thing in, in, in recent times is, is I, I don't call these things human errors. I call these things misbehaviors. Okay. And, and, and I think that uh, and I guess, you know, it's just a word. And of course, I, <laughs> I've, I've gone out there smart driving. I don't like anybody's names for anything. So therefore, I invent my <laughs> own. So, so I throw them out there. But, uh, but really, it is, it is misbehavior. Um, you know, tailgating is misbehavior. Excessive mm -hmm. speeding is misbehavior. Um, uh, you know, um, um, crossing a double line when there's oncoming traffic is misbehavior. Um, you know, not respecting uh, uh, and giving enough room to a bicyclist out there is misbehavior. And in fact, um, I think that one of the things that automation should do is keep us from misbehaving. And, um, and of course, um, you know, that's not what anybody sells an automobile to an individual for, you know, because in fact, if you look at all the ad advertising that goes on, not all, some of the advertising that goes on by the OEMs, oh my goodness, um, they instill in you to misbehave. They show these vehicles driving in heavy snow and whatever. And of course, a Jeep can drive in heavy snow. I mean, misbehavior. Uh, always there's a little closed course down there at the bottom saying, you know, don't try this yourself. But, you know, so they instill the, this stuff into us. And darn it, you know, you know, I, I know you can't say this, but I love saying it. They've been totally irresponsible in doing this. Of course, it's made us want to buy their cars. Um, what do you think about this? Uh, you know, it, it, not to put you in a corner or anything like that. Uh, go ahead. No, I mean, I think that there are a lot of things that, you know, that OEMs could do right now for vehicles to make them safer and to keep drivers from misbehaving. And I think, you know, speed's a good example of that. Uh, you know, in the United States, we're not really doing that much to try to limit speeds. And there's things that we could do in the design of vehicles to limit speeds. You know, we could do intelligent speed adaptation like they're starting to do in Europe to try to keep speeds down. It was considered a big deal recently when Volvo limited. Yeah, I was, I was going to say. Yeah. Oh, yeah, great. Thank you, Volvo. I mean, you know, be out there, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, we hear, we hear a lot about, you know, some of the feedback we've gotten on this piece, especially from designers, has been, well, of course we're going to design these things into vehicles, and why would you think we're not? And I think a lot of people are 
you know, considering yeah. that and talking about it now, but it might be something different when they're actually trying to sell it to people. You know, people's preferences don't always agree with what's being sold and what's being marketed. And so we're just trying to make the point that when differences and safety disagree, if we really want to prevent this 94% of crashes, we need to go on the side of safety. I, I think that's the really important message of your work. That is the fundamentally important message to say, look, if you just say, if you think that these things are really going to be get out of jail free cards when you misbehave, the only way in certain situations maybe, and I sort of disagree that the incapacitation one really does it because oh my goodness, if you've had one too many uh, things to drink, you know, what these things should do is stop. They can't get you home. Okay, there's just no way. And so uh, maybe it doesn't even pick those guys up. Sure, if you have a seizure or if you, you know, whatever, pass out. Yes, maybe in those situations. But really the important message is here that in fact, what, what these systems need to do is uh, they need to keep you from misbehaving. And so therefore, so as long as you're within whatever, go ahead, do it. But, uh, but in, at some point, um, you know, it's just, it's not going to let you go more than nine over. Or maybe there's a button there that says, okay, uh, I have a real emergency. I know what the hell I'm doing. Uh, we'll give you, okay, sure, race to the hospital. Okay, and, and we'll trust you this one time. But, but you do that more than once, um, you, get, you get the toys taken away. You have to go s sit in the corner with a dunce hat on or whatever. Um, you know, it, 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 we, can't, we can't let it happen. You, you, you go through a red light, really? I mean, cut it out. Uh, tailgate, really? Cut it out. Uh, I mean, it shouldn't let you do it. And I think that that's, to me, that's what I got out of what, what you, your, yeah. your report. And that's really important. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Right. I'm saying, you know, there, we, we could get at a lot of these issues right now with technology. Absolutely. You, know, you can set your adaptive cruise control to be above the speed limit, and that's something that... Well, it shouldn't let, even let you do. But, right. But, but the problem is, you know, I got the clippers. Right. <laughs> the clippers. And, I'll, and, you know, and, and I might clip it. But guess what? You're coming at it from the insurance industry. Okay. You clip it. You don't have insurance. Oh, sure. Why not? Jessica, were you looking at the, the, the future with self-driving vehicles or are you looking at driverless? Because they, they are different things we're talking about. Well, how are you defining self-driving? Well, I, I think, I, let me answer it for, I think they're looking at safe driving cars, cars that we buy, that in fact, we get to drive, we get to whatever, but there's some automation back here that basically keeps it in the straight and narrow and bails us out if, you know, stuff happens. Okay. So an enhanced version of what's out there today, essentially. Yeah. So in, in the study itself, when we were coming up with these numbers, you know, we were really thinking about a world where all of the vehicles are self-driving, um, you know, a world that's very far away from now. But I think a lot of, you know, all of these principles apply to what's on the road now and what's going to be- On the road now, yeah. You, you don't have to get all the way out there. I mean, if you look at it from, from the individual's point of view, at fault, okay? Nothing we're going to do is somebody else runs a red light and T-bones us. 
I mean, you know, to think that these things are going to be able to avoid those things, you know, no, a meteorite come down. Well, that's not part of the 94%, okay? But, but really, from, from a, from a at-fault perspective, keeping me from being at fault, you know, and there's the 30% the thirty that you put out there that has to do with, with me still really misbehaving, but still keeping me from being at fault could keep me from misbehaving. And therefore, from my perspective, can eat much more into that 94% than just going in there 30. I think that that's, that's really what, you, what, you're, what you're saying, right. There, right? Right, that's exactly what we're saying, that you know, if, if we're looking at those, that misbehavior, then we're going to get much closer to that 94%. And we're not saying that it can't be done or that it's not even being worked on, because it is. And it's, of course. It's something that... You know, I don't think we can take for granted that it's going to happen when we look at what's on the road today and how safety isn't always the first priority. Right, and 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 certainly not from a perspective of an OEM that's out there trying mm-hmm. to sell me something that, in fact, has has teased me into buying it because it's put me in some never never land where I can do these weird things and whatever, ooh, and have some fun over there, and whatever. Not to say that they they do yeah. that. But, yeah. And I think it's some of the issues we see right now with just the partial automation that's on the road is that you know are these supposed to be convenience features or are they supposed to be safety features because they're going to be designed pretty differently depending on how you're thinking about them and with with like level two partial automation it's not perfect yet i mean it's not as as you guys have shown very clearly with respect to stationary objects right i mean uh, david shows that extremely you know very very clearly yeah, go ahead. Right. You know, we've also seen times where like there's there's hills and curves and the systems drop out. And so, you know, we think that right now it's probably not the best idea to even be able to take your hands off the wheel. And, yeah, right. and you really want these systems to be able to monitor people as closely as possible. But, you know, that kind of goes at odds with them being a convenience feature. Like if you can't take your hands off the wheel, what's the point of having it? And I think, you know, right now we're seeing kind of some of these conflicts between, you know, for safety versus what's something that's giving people what they want. And I think this is something that's going to continue to be an issue in a different way as we introduce different uh, vehicle features that are being automated. Yeah, well, that, that's why I sort of introduced this misbehavior terminology, because mm-hmm. I guess none of us want, want to misbehave, right? I mean, I, um, I, you know, when I was in grade school, I was always told to go sit in the corner because I was always misbehaving. I learned that that's not what you're supposed to do. Maybe, I don't know if I did learn, learn that. But, but you know, re- really, it is misbehavior. I mean, you know, driving is supposed to be a privilege. You're supposed to drive defensively. But all the all the various things that that we so rapidly forget when we're in this, you know, wonderful cocoon of a thing that, you know, we spend all this money on that is supposed to make us the 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 top of the heap on the on the block and whatever and and if, and and all that stuff that just ha- that has to begin to disappear. And, and, and I think, uh, you know, and people will still want to buy them and drive them. Um, but certainly if we get to the driverless vehicles in which, you know, the human's out of the loop, it's a mobility system. I think everybody that's designing those things and, and dealing with them is dealing with them to be, to be uh, entities that don't miss 
misbehave. Why? Because if they misbehave, then in fact they're going to find themselves in court. They're going to have they're they're going to lose the ranch because of all the lawyers they have to hire to be able to protect themselves against that misbehavior. So it's it's going to anyway. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean that's what we've been hearing. You know that 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 for the fully autonomous vehicles, they are being designed not to misbehave, but. You know, we don't know if it's really what's going to end up being the case when, when we really see them. And there's no, you know, no regulatory framework to make sure that that's what happens. Yeah, and we've seen, you know, some of these high profile, I mean, maybe just one real high profile, you know, mistake when, when we had that fatal Uber crash where there were, you know, it, it was a situation where the vehicle didn't correctly predict what the woman crossing the street was going to be doing, didn't make the correct evasive maneuver when she was in front of the vehicle. You know, and that's the only real- Evasive maneuver, hit the brake, you saw her six right. seconds before you hit her. Yeah, okay, yeah, exactly. don't put in the code disregard yeah. her. I mean, right. in the code, right. it said disregard. It's a stationary object ahead, it's just moving across. I mean, hey, they lost right. $6 billion on that one, okay? Guess sure. what? They lost sixty billion in, in capitalization on that one. They won't make that mistake again. Right. Okay. That's what we that's what we would hope. You know. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I think uh, they got slapped on the wrist on that one, uh, and may not even survive. A lot of other things too, but. Yeah, I, I, we have to be careful. If, if in fact these things go out and they do that kind of thing, uh, even though there are no regulations, now they'll be shut down. People will be in the streets, okay? They don't have a chance. So they have to, they can't misbehave. They have to be, go in there properly. We have to figure out how to, how to properly meld them in there. Saying they have to adhere to the speed limit if nobody else has to adhere to the speed limit, isn't going to do any good. If everybody else gets nine miles, they're going to have to get nine miles an hour. Okay. Otherwise, everybody else is going to have to. I guess I don't know. That's sort of what I throw out there. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be a trickier mix for you know the men, the very long period of time where we haven't. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I mean, but even even past that, you know, if there when we do have a time when there's not a mixed fleet. Things like speed, I think, aren't viewed as clearly as misbehavior as some some other types of human, you know, decision making or misbehavior. And things about, you know, well, I just want to get there a little bit faster. Isn't this vehicle so safe? You know, what's the big deal? Why can't you know if all of the vehicles were going so fast? You know, hey, you know, what's, what's the problem here? And I think that's that's something where I don't know know necessarily that developers are thinking about it that way, but consumers down the line might think about it that way. You know, and we have to understand that vehicles are still not going to be able to detect things instantaneously. And the of course not. And the harder that is. I mean, you know, before the pandemic, when I used to fly, every time I got an airplane, I used to go knock on the door of the air pilot, go faster. I want to get there faster. Yeah. Guess what he did to me? You know, no, no, I mean, yeah, you might want to get there faster, but come on, okay. It's just not gonna it's it's if it's not safe it isn't gonna happen yeah it's something that might just have to be kind of a culture shift from consumers yep. and people expect from transportation and from vehicles or you know these things that are the safest to be acceptable to everybody to move us towards this future where we're not having these crashes and not having vehicles go more quickly than respond to what's out there 
Yeah, and I and again, I think that to me that's that's a really important thing that I took from your from your report mm -hmm. is that is that look while while there are some folks out there that sort of make you kind of feel like if just by having this you now have this great safety shield out there and you're good to go you're really not and you better look at how you use it and in fact mm -hmm. uh, maybe have a little change in your mindset and cool it a little bit because in fact um, um, you're the problem <laughs> at least that's what I yeah. took out of it <laughs> yeah okay. yeah you know we're gonna have to have some some trade-offs down the line if we really yep. want to prevent most of these crashes between you know things that yep. might get you places faster or get you places in a more convenient way versus the things that'll really still keep us safe even if these vehicles are you know really great at perceiving what's out there yeah you know Al Alan you've argued yeah. for for a long time that uh personal vehicles, a vehicle that, that, that I could buy that would truly be self-driving or autonomous. That's not going to happen. Well, I, I, yeah, I've argued that, that, that that's, there's not a market for that one. If I can't, if I can't drive it, you know, why would I own it? I mean, I might as well just, you know, use the system that's out there unless nobody really wants to provide that service, but there, there's such an opportunity for somebody to run a business and provide that, you know, uh, of but course. But the, the, li the liability involved on and, the part and, of the and, and, car maker. And, and the liability involved in the car maker and so on associated with that. Uh, and that's really the problem with the so-called level three out there that sort of, sort of suggests that in fact, uh, you know, I can just, uh, let the sucker go and um, and it's going to just work perfectly without me me having any responsibility for it well uh if if i've had it in my driveway and i'm supposed to be the one that's maintaining it there's nobody that's going to sell me that vehicle and assume that i'm going to maintain it properly such that they maintain the the the, the responsibility for it if they're going to have the responsibility for it they're going to control it Otherwise, you know, you sucker, you take the responsibility. It's yours. Uh, you uh, you broke it. Uh, it's 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 your fault, not not mine. And so, I don't think there's an OEM that would sell you that, even irrespective of what Elon says at times or whatever. You know. And those issues with maintenance and stuff are just going to become more important. You know, and they're important now, and it's something where we don't know. You know, the extent to which. Like older, you know, with the crash avoidance systems that are out there now, they're only kind of starting to age and, you know, we're not sure yet how they're performing. You know, we've seen plenty of issues with um, systems having issues with calibration and things like that over the years. So we don't know kind of, you know, how much people are paying attention to really getting things in spec and making sure that they're working the way they need to work to be able to Sure. When I when I go get my oil change at uh, you know Ju uh, Jiffy Lube, do they really ch check my automated emergency braking system? Right. To they're not be doing that. <laughs> of course they're not. When I take my Mercedes into the Mercedes dealer, they don't even do that. Okay. Now maybe Tesla does it over the air and checks everything out. Da -da 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 -da. I don't know, uh, but um, yeah, uh, uh, the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Very true, just, Jessica. Like, yeah. Just like anecdotal experience with even like one of our employees had a, one of her family members had a crash and, and they, you know, got the vehicle, like the system was supposed to have been recalibrated, but they noticed that it was just like, I think they were getting forward collision warnings for bridges. And it was like clear that the sensor wasn't po pointing to the right place. And it eventually was one of our employees who 
find out what was wrong and after bringing it back to the dealership a few times. So, you know, and these are isolated experiences, but things that we have to worry about even more, the more cameras and sensors that you have on a vehicle. Yeah, so you take a product, you know, that you manufacture, that an OEM manufactures, and you bring it over to consumer land, and you say to the consumer, hey, you maintain this and make sure that it works. I mean, we're not we're not all that good at doing that. I know you are, Jessica. I, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm not that good at that. Okay, um, and 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 so, you know, if in fact they're going to work, then then the OEM is going to be in there. I'm going to man. I'm going to manage it. I'm going to make sure that the maintenance is good. I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to control it. If I'm going to be responsible, I'm going to. I'm going to have to control it. So they they won't be able to sell it to us. I think. But anyway, that's a that's a that's a. Well, I, I think it's a related issue, and I think that, that to me that's that's what's so darn important about about you know your 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 study and what you put out there is to is to really deal with this issue and and i you know this uh, part of this is misbehavior on the individual and if you really want to deal with it you're going to have to give up some things and i let you underscore one once again jessica what what's what are the key <laughs> that you want people to take away from this uh, your message to the car makers and and the people working on this technology that if we really want to get to that 94% of crashes being reduced, that we need to address some of these issues of driver misbehavior that might not always be popular. And, you know, when we see that many of the developers right now are moving in that direction, which is great, but, you know, we would prefer for there to be a regulatory structure to make sure that that really happens um, because, you know, it's, it's one thing to design a vehicle but it's another thing to sell it to people and to make sure it's acceptable. And that we you know we might have to have a bit of a culture change to make sure that what's the safest is acceptable to people when we move towards this more autonomous future. So this needs to be legislated? Well, I think ideally we would have, we would have regulation from the federal government that would at least have a framework of the kinds of things that autonomous vehicles have to do to show that they're safe. You know, right now it's kind of, there's, there's, guidance, there's some voluntary things that the federal government is doing, but there hasn't been anything that they've mandated yet when it's come to designing these. So, you know, it's something that we would like to see because even if most people are doing it, if you don't have to, there's, you know, sometimes going to be someone who's not going to do it. Although, uh, you know, uh, just to take a little the opposite, it, it was sort of good a year or so or two years ago, however long it's been when the industry came out with respect to automated emergency braking. And in fact, they're going to do automated emergency braking as opposed to just warning. You know, hey, if you think the car should stop, stop the damn thing, okay? I mean, just don't tell me to stop. Do it. Why not? I mean, you know, you have you have the capability of doing it. I think one of the problems that and I don't want you to put yourself out, but I'll say one of the fundamental problems with the, with the automated emergency braking is what you touched on just a, a few minutes ago is is the false positives. Okay, the the, the stationary object in the in the lane ahead, it, 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 it 
one encounters these things all the time. They happen to be overhead signs. They have to be uh, traffic lights overhead. Uh, they um, trees, uh, tree uh, uh, canopies, uh, overhead uh, abutments uh, for for overpasses. These things occur all the time when we're driving. They're stationary objects. Uh, it's just, it just happens that we can pass underneath it. And to determine whether or not you have room to pass underneath one of these things is a non-trivial process. And in fact, uh, you know, this is where all these automated emergency braking systems, at least what I think, need to really improve on, being able to not just have a, a safe surface for me to, to, to go on ahead, but also a, a, a safe head, headway uh, or headroom to pass underneath things and so that it doesn't uh, have false positives on those things that all of a sudden apply the brakes when I, geez, I can pass under, what the hell is it doing? And then what do I do? I, I cut the wire, I turn it off, I, I complain, I take it back as a lemon, uh, you know, all this kind of thing. So, you know, they really have to improve on that. Whether or not the industry does that in and of itself and realizes that that's a really important thing to do or NHTSA has to come in there and say, you got to get this sucker to work. I don't know, I, I don't care which one actually, I would rather it be, you know, the OEMs do it. Uh, it'd be a heck of a lot easier, probably. But anyway, um, that's a long <laughs> tirade into into that. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've heard that you know, the same kinds of stuff in the news about some of the systems, you know, breaking when they shouldn't be breaking, and that's not yeah. good, you know, and that, that in and of itself poses a safety risk and makes people not want to. Of use course. It. At the same time, we've seen for the most part that. You know, overall, we have seen, like, taking in the flaws that some systems might have, we've seen that there's been a crash reduction associated with them. So we still think it's a good thing and that people should still use these systems. And obviously, you know, when we have, when, when they have these issues of them stopping for things that aren't there, then, like, of course, we need to um, yeah. try to cut down on that. But we still think that the systems overall are, seem to be doing a good job. Yeah, they, they do. It's it's we we've come a long way from the uh, you know the the Prius problem with the accelerate with the uh -huh. acceleration thing that poor Toyota had to go through and who knows what the heck the source of that thing uh, and unintended accelerations or whatever the heck that thing was called the, those many years back. Go ahead, uh, you're you're smiling. I guess you know. Oh what no, I'm just like I remember about. those days. But it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I think we're we're beyond that. I think uh, in this systems have got they've gotten a hell of a lot better yeah and i think you know there's a lot that we can do in, yeah before we get to autonomous vehicles yeah absolutely out there right now and you know it's only really kind of just started to be on vehicles you know many new yeah. vehicles have a lot of these crash avoidance systems but they're still not really out there in the fleet and so i think there's a lot of crash reduction that we're going to see just from the technology that's out there now yeah, and, and maybe the OEMs have been a little timid because, you know, they've always thought that hmm, we're, we're king when we got a hold of that damn steering wheel and, you know, we know best. We really don't know best. <laughs> Types. <laughs> anyway. Fred. We'll continue, Alan, in just a moment. But this is a good time to remind our listeners about our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. To get more info, head to MOTOETF.com. 
And on that website, uh, we should point out, it's a good idea to read the white paper titled The Smart Transportation Revolution under the Insights and News tab. Lots of great info to help you make informed decisions. And you may already know ETFs can be a smart way to spread risk with your investments and focus on a particular category. The site again is MOTOETF.com. Getting to some of the other headlines in the latest smart driving car newsletter. Tesla is again making headlines. The stock rocketed above $1,000 a share this week before settling down some, getting close to the valuation of, uh, of Toyota. And, and the jump came after Elon Musk said it was time to go all out and bring the delayed Tesla semi to the market. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing what competition does. You know, there's another uh, entity that just went public and all of a sudden, uh, you know, uh, did very well in that IPO. And, and Elon said, oh, my goodness, I can't leave this one behind. I don't know. It's um, I or I thought it was because I said, hey, I'm finally going to uh, going to uh, going to sell Tesla or something like that. That they one of who knows them. Whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, look. Um, yeah. Who would have thought? Who would have thought electric trucks? You know, in some sense. Uh, but but I think it's um, it's really interesting. It is really interesting. And in fact, um, you know, I, I don't know. I haven't I haven't ridden in one. I haven't driven one. Uh, but of course, you know, the whole part of the issue with respect to trucks is the number of gears you have to go through to be able to be able to use this internal combustion engine to move it. But the torque characteristics of an electric motor, I mean, that's, that's what railroads have done, you know, all of a sudden put, bring that on the highways. Whew. Electric has posted a video from a British Tesla owner showing a Model 3 on autopilot negotiating a roundabout, which we call a, a traffic circle, I think, here in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A significant autopilot progress? Well, I, I, that's another step forward. I think it does it pretty well. It's another piece of it. Um, I don't know if I, you know, I don't, I don't know if I trust it on a, on a, on a roundabout or not. Whatever, I'd have my hands on the wheel. Um, um, if it helps the driver and if it, if it uh, really helps the driver drive better and drive easier and drive safer, great. You know, Jessica, Tesla is an interesting case for the insurance industry, it seems. Some insurance companies, from what I understand, charge Tesla owners, owners more, I guess, because of all the technology, while others see the safety aspects and and have, have better rates, any, any thoughts? I mean, I think, so what it's been, you know, we our sister organization, the Highway Loss Data Institute has looked at, um, you know, the insurance results for Teslas. And we have seen that overall, they have uh, higher rates of insurance claims than what we see for similar vehicles. And it's not because of the technology per se. I think it's because of, you know, it might be because of the drivers, it might be because of the, the, the way that people are driving these vehicles. And when it comes to the technology, it's more complicated that we, you know, we don't have a clear picture of what's going on. And we did do a study a few years ago where we tried to look at uh, you know, what was going on with insurance claims for vehicles that had autopilot um, versus a period of time before autopilot was available. And we saw kind of mixed results. We saw um, some kinds of insurance claims go down a little bit with autopilot. Um, others didn't. Um, so 
kind of hard to say what was going on safety-wise with autopilot. Um, but I think for the, for the insurance, it's not so much the technology on the vehicles, but it's just what we've been, you know, what we've been seeing that they seem to get into more crashes. And, you know, not necessarily because of autopilot, but it's for the whole group of them, even those without autopilot. Are so you I, saying I there's guess, more uh, misbehavior, as Alan would put it? No. Yeah, yeah, I mean, probably it, probably it is. Well, I, I guess, you know, part of it may be the misbehavior piece and there is, uh, there's the, the lack of driver attention and so on that, that may, may be there. And, and certainly uh, in the rollout of all this, uh, uh, Tesla and maybe everybody else didn't, uh, didn't insist on, on driver attention. They didn't do what Cadillac did with their system and putting in a um, an actual observation of the driver to make sure that they they remain in the loop and otherwise they yes. take away the toy and 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 probably they should do that. Yeah, we've seen a lot like from you know these NTSB reports that have come out recently about some of these fatal Tesla crashes and we've seen you know one of the things they're pointing out is that um, at least with these older versions of autopilot that there really wasn't any you know comprehensive driver monitoring. Like I think that there was um, a fatal crash that happened in Mountain View a couple years ago where this was a driver wasn't paying attention. He, the, there was a, a, a lane split and the and autopilot steered him into the gore and he hit a crash attenuator and, and then he died. And, you know, they, they noticed that um, his hands weren't on the wheel for a lot of the time beforehand. Um, he was probably playing a game on his phone, but autopilot at, at the time and at the speed that he was traveling would have let him keep his hands off the wheel, I think for three minutes before trying to give some kind of notification, you know? And so if you're not trying to monitor if drivers are paying attention, these are some of the things that you risk having happen. I mean, you know, we think that these systems really need to have this um, comprehensive driver monitoring with the state that they're in right now. Yeah, well, well that, that, that one was, was pretty weird because in fact, you know, um, the pain on the road probably um, would have yeah. a human driver drive right into the butt end of that, uh, that yeah, Jersey barrier, you know. And, yeah, that, and, that, that, that crash <laughs> thing was, you know, it was damaged. He was not the first person to drive into it. Yeah, right. It was, yeah. So, so, um, yeah. So, you know, that, that's a, that, that, that's kind of a weird one. It's also like a good, a good example of why you need driver monitoring because, you know, the roads aren't perfect. Either that, that's right. When you, have, when you have the lane lines that aren't clear, you know, the vehicle might not know what to do. And that's a time where you really need the driver to be able to be paying attention and take over quickly. And that's probably exactly the reason why we need driver monitoring yet. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, drivers need to pay attention. Look, these things are these things are, are killing machines if they're just let go and and not and not not properly uh, properly used. And so, therefore, you 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 have to have the, the 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 monitoring. the The other the other, of course, problem with the automated emergency braking again in the lane ahead is stationary object. Um, I think all the code that was written until recently said. Um, you know, the false alarm rate is just too high. Uh, the inadvertent braking is just uh, people are just going to turn it off. Therefore, um, forget about it. And
and uh, that was uh, that's that's terrible design. Uh, but that's I think that's that was an, an intentional design in the systems. But um, that's that's just what I claim. And what the hell do I know? I'm sitting here in the bubble of Princeton. Uh, never get out. Uh, <laughs> lately, anyway. <laughs> lately, anyway, whatever. But yeah, yeah, uh, none of us get out lately. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Back to the newsletter, Alan. Uh, from the Work Research Group at Vanderbilt University, there's an article looking at post-COVID-19 transportation, posing the question, what will traffic look like if transit riders become car drivers? And the prediction predictably, I suppose, is for extreme traffic in some cities. Yeah, I think in some cities, I think the only good news is that there were so few transit riders anyway in the first place that that it's only, you know, uh, the, the New York's uh, and maybe not even the Los Angeles's. I mean, what what's the percent of transit use in Los Angeles? It's nothing. Um, yeah, I'm in Washington D.C. and I'm you know, something that I'm definitely concerned about. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, well, I was going to say Washington yeah, too. Yeah, I mean, you know. yeah, definitely a very urban-specific issue for a few cities. Yeah. And, do you drive or do you take metro? I drive, but uh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> we only have one car, and so my husband took metro, and so now he's been like practicing riding a bike. <laughs> he's like, I don't know. But, um, there's a, but there's a lot of people who live in yeah. the who kind of work downtown and parking is hard. And so I don't know what they're going to end up doing, but yeah. Um, although, although I guess maybe one of the things that we're finding out about this is that, uh, why are we sending anybody downtown? I mean, really, uh, yeah. we may, we may have, the, 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 the ugly finding of all this is that we may have ended up being more, more efficient and more productive uh, sitting at home. Oh my goodness, if they find that out. Yipes, I don't know what happens then. Anyway, who knows? It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting as having an unknown future makes life interesting. Well, I, it always is that way in reality. Anyway. <laughs> Otherwise, what would we what would we have to talk about? You know, if we all if we knew what was coming, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Another press release uh, out this week uh, saying Ford and Volkswagen have signed agreements for joint projects on commercial vehicles, electric vehicles, and automated vehicles. Really, I guess just formal formalizing some of the things that have been. Yeah, going I on. think it's formalizing, but I think it's a. I think everybody uh, certainly. I, I I think everybody at Ford and and Volkswagen have been waiting to, for it to be formalized to actually get get there and, and do the work and do the work together. And it's probably going to mean uh, um, good efforts by better efforts coming out of them working in, in cooperation and in, than in competition here. So and largely think, we're talking Argo, at least for- Yeah, I think we're talking, uh, I think we're talking Argo and we're talking about really making improvements. I think it goes beyond that, it goes to electric vehicles too. Although I think there was another sort of announcement that the electric version of the Ford F-150 is not going to get delayed maybe another six months. I mean, um, um, hopefully it's it's not longer than that. Otherwise, poor, I mean, Elon's gonna go with his truck. I, I mean, <laughs> never mind. Um, um, I think it's a race to get get a 
get an electric pickup out there that that in fact uh, all the the folks that haul stuff want to go buy you know if 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 the people that are that are hauling stuff are, are going to start buying electric vehicles instead of you know gasoline or diesel powered vehicles um that's that's a that's a big change this next one alan this is something that uh, you highlighted at the smart Smart Driving Car Summit uh, last year. Forbes has a piece with the headline, Temple Grandin, Elon Musk, and the interesting parallels between autonomous vehicles and autism. Yeah, I know. And we we focused on autism and really people with autism, you know, requiring mobility and so on and abilities to drive. But I, I just thought it was an interesting article. And uh, Cecilia was uh, was quoted in there and so on and so forth. So, uh, yeah, I, again, it's it's an interesting sector uh, uh, to be uh, to be focusing on. And I just thought uh, I pointed out to our readers to take a look at that. It's an interesting article. And we talk about uh, having a, a traffic solution uh, from CNBC. Top Tesla investor Bailey Gifford has put $35 million into German flying taxi startup Lilium. I think that's how it's pronounced. Yeah. Uh, they've showed a, a five-seater vertical takeoff electric air taxi. I don't know. I mean, I'm still not a fan, as I like to say, even though maybe I should be a fan. Uh, You know, again, it's for the one percenters. And um, if you if you sort of think about a a post pandemic in which uh, maybe now um, uh, uh, certainly uh, the um, the uh, office working force is now distributed rather than centralized in a tower. And you now have executives, one percenters needing to go to many different places. Um, yeah, maybe, I don't know, for the, for the rich and, and well off, uh, for, the, for the people that really need mobility, the, you know, at least what I like to focus on with respect to this uh, driverless vehicle, the people in which that, that have been left behind in, in this mobility world to substantially improve their quality of life. These things aren't going to do it. Uh, but, you know, again, the rich will figure out how to how to serve themselves. And I guess this is one of them, but whatever. Interesting insurance issues, maybe with, with flying taxis. <laughs> well, there there might be some interest. You know, there 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 there's some uh, you know there's some issues with respect to having them also be a be autonomous, and and the issue as to uh, you know how to how to really make um, uh, at least short haul air travel uh, with, in smaller groups uh, um, uh, affordable. Uh, from um, you know more local between more local airports and so on, uh, there, there are potential opportunities there, but uh, um, um, maybe. Any thoughts, <laughs> Jessica? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good answer, Jessica. I like it. <laughs> well, now now that we're looking upwards in the skies, we're yeah. going a little higher. <laughs> yeah. Elon Musk is sticking to his plan to have a spaceship travel to Mars by 2022 with a manned mission planned for 2024. And I just looked at the calendar and we're halfway through 2020. <laughs> this, this, this isn't very far off, Alan. Yeah, and if 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 
the folks haven't haven't watched uh, Elon's uh, presentation, I guess maybe a year and a half ago to the International Astronomical Astronautical Federation uh, about his uh, his um, concept for a Mars mission. Um, um, 50 plus years ago, that's where I thought we were going. That's what was motivating me. We were, we were going to Mars. There was no doubt about it. And then, of course, that whole damn thing, you know, uh, fell off the table. And um, and basically, the, the concept of a reusable launch vehicle uh, as being the centerpiece of, um, of a uh, Mars expedition and so on, uh, Folks should should watch that that presentation by by Elon. I, it, it struck me as being um, uh, as certainly the, the the most rational that I've heard heard in my uh, you know whatever sixty years in this stuff or approaching sixty years in this stuff. Um, and of course, uh, you know what they accomplished. What was it uh, basically a, a, a week ago with? The, yeah. with the launch and and the demonstration and nailed the landing i mean you know um maybe he's not always on time but he tends to get things done it seems well i you know i you I, yeah you, you gotta give him you gotta give him credit i mean you you just have to i mean it's 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 pretty damn good performance and finally from the half-baked section of the smart <laughs> driving car newsletter Samsung has filed for a patent for AR or augmented reality glasses featuring turn-by-turn -turn navigation. You know, I, I like to think that I helped pioneer turn-by-turn -turn navigation. Well, you did. <laughs> and yeah, I think, yeah, I was uh, certainly out there early. You know, last thing, I mean, what was what was fundamental to Copilot was that with a quick glance, you could get all the information that you needed um, and then pay attention to the road ahead. Last thing I want are navigation instructions in my face. You know, the whole, I mean, are you, is anybody kidding? I, 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 I don't like heads up displays. I, 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 you know, any, any of that stuff, I don't need that information all the time. What I need is information on what's on the road ahead. Okay, and that's what I need to concentrate on, huh? It does seem that heads-up displays are really, you know, the most useful for things that you just like need to see right now for a second, but not just, you know. Sure, I mean, if they, if they want to warn me or something, but, but guess what, you know, I put that, th I can glance down and I can glance back up, you know, and in fact, you know, I shouldn't, why am I, why do I use uh, uh, intelligent cruise control? I use intelligent cruise control because I don't want to, I don't want to worry about how fast I'm going. I want to set it to where I'm comfortable or at least where I think I should be. And I want to forget about it. Let the darn system do it. I don't, I, I've got better things to occupy my mind uh, really, as opposed to, you know, where my next turn is and in my, uh, I, I, talk about a glass hole. I mean, a nav hole. I mean, whatever. Well, I, Je Jessica, I, I assume sorry, Jessica. Your, your concern, Jessica, would be, you know, whether this is technology that's, that's helpful in terms of safety or whether it's a distraction. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's, there's a balance between how much information you have kind of in your vision at one time and how useful it is, you know, 
I think there's an instinct to kind of show drivers everything, but drivers can't pay attention to everything. So it's kind of a trade-off between. Absolutely. Are you seeing what you need right now? Or are you seeing, you know, a lot of things when you do number one things to be paying attention to the road? Yeah, I mean, really, I think what, what I, I think what you want is, a, is for the driver to be comfortable and um and in fact much of this the car should be doing most much of it and in fact i think we're finally getting there uh so that it's doing i to me what i what i like about what i personally like about the lane centering stuff is that basically it, it, it the wheel turns for me you know it leads me into the curve instead of me doing it not you know other people i guess i should want to be in control all the time Never mind. <laughs> Before we wrap up, uh, you should know there's another live Zoom Tank session scheduled for Tuesday, the 23rd at 2 p.m. Eastern. The topic, insurance for or against smart driving cars. I think we're going to get Jessica to talk to us. Yeah, we're we're going to see if we can get Jessica <laughs> to be a, a shark on that one or something like that. We're going to have a little talk offline. We're, we're still putting it together. Uh, people are sort of getting permission to be on, which everybody sort of needs permissions from their organizations and so on, of course, because every once in a while in the Shark Tanks, we sort of get into some discussions that um, I don't know why they're just discussions. We're just talking. I mean, you know, but anyway, uh, but yes, it looks like and in fact, uh, we'll probably, you know, uh, touch on a few things that we touched on today on that insurance uh, as you know, how long has it been? Eight years more that basically I've, I've continued to say that insurance is, has the opportunity to lead here, has, a, has the opportunity to make it happen and, and make it happen to not only do the safety, but the other pieces make a hell of a lot more money. Okay. And in fact, how do you make more money is you know, loss goes down. I mean, so if you if you want to if you want to take anyway. <laughs> part in this as a participant, you have to register, and that's at zoom-tank.com. Yeah. It'll be broadcast on, on YouTube as well. But uh, if you want to participate in the conversation, you do need to register. Again, that's the twenty third at two p.m. If you go to zoom-tank.com, you can also check out the videos of our previous sessions and debates. That is it for this edition. Thanks to our sponsor, the Smart ETFs. Smart Transportation and Technology ETF. The ticker symbol for the ETF is MOTO, and more information is available at MOTOETF.com. We want to thank Jessica Cicchino, Research VP at IIHS, for joining us again today. Really appreciate it, Jessica. Great, great input and a very thoughtful study. Yeah, thank you. Great conversation. Yeah, Jessica, wonderful having you. Thank you. Thank you. The website is iihs.org, O-R-G. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com, also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and more, wherever you get your podcasts. You can ask your smart speaker to play us. You can find my tech reports at textonation.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening or watching, and stay safe. <laughs>